So it kind of baffles me how things can end up so far down the line and, and just not work. I don't understand that. I've never really seen it, you know, firsthand. When you hear that about much, much larger organisations and much larger budgets, I, I don't understand how they get to that point without them being caught a long, long way before because there's no way that would ever happen. can't imagine that would ever happen with us because there are too many checkpoints involved along the way. You know, we deliver normally on a two-week cadence. Welcome back to How I Built This, the podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Scottish tech companies and how they came to be. Thanks as always to Cathcart Associates for sponsoring the show. On today's episode, I'm speaking to Phil Telfer, longtime friend of Cathcart and the CTO and co-founder of ClearSky Logic, a digital transformation agency headquartered in Edinburgh. Welcome to the show, Phil. Oh, thank you very much, Liam. Nice to be here. All the way from sunny Spain as well. Before we jump into Clear Sky Logic as it is today, I thought it'd be good to, to kind of jump back into early 2018 or so when you uh, and your co-founder Darren decided to set it all up, I suppose. Kind of what was the plan back then or kind of like that? where did the idea to, to start a business with Darren kind of stem from? Yeah, it's a good one. Um I think you know myself and Darren. We held senior IT positions at, uh, together in um, Spark Energy, uh, so I'd worked there for a, a number of years. Darren worked there, I think three or four years, something like that. You know, he was kind of my sort of trusted uh, colleague there. We worked together on delivering some some major projects for them. We'd also looked at outsourcing to allow Spark Energy to leverage you know, external teams. And so we'd gone through that process of being effectively like the technical stakeholder, trying to fulfill wishes of non-technical leaders. So the CEO, for example, looking to just expand the offering of the business and us going out and looking at third parties and and scrutinizing their offerings and really thinking, you know, we could do this. We do do this already. We already, you know, we're we're good at, you know, hiring people. We, we, We built teams from the ground up, really, you know, recruiting Lots of good candidates um, into their Selkirk office, and then laterly, laterally into the Edinburgh as well, and bringing in people who were really promising. You know, quite a lot of junior guys who were just really bright, had lots of potential, and turning them into something where they're really efficient and effective at delivering and really motivated. So we we were doing that anyway. So it just sort of felt natural for us to think, well, you know, we could just do this. We could just create an agency and do this for lots of different clients because we know the power of digital transformation we know what it can do for a business and we know the sort of questions that are being asked by third parties when they're going out to look for the for for technical partners and so we felt like we were well positioned to do that strange to think of what the actual plan was i think initially the plan was just to make sure we could make a living and make sure that it was possible it was feasible so it was really a case of you know um of needs must and myself and darren worked as consultants for the first certainly for the first year or two um, and so we were, you know, the main fee earners in the business. That's not the situation now by any means, but um, but it certainly was then. It was, you know, very, very different starting out. And yeah, gaining the trust of those first clients was obviously essential. And, and it was pretty hand to mouth. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a very different situation now. Yeah. And in your head, thinking about how your career might go, did you always think that you might run your own business one day? Or was it really just because you and Darren were looking at these outsourcing options and realising there was an opportunity and it was just something you should have a go at, basically? Yeah, I think truly that I, I probably think I, sh- I would always 
have started a business at some point. It did take me a bit longer than Darren. You know, I'm quite a bit older than he is. Uh, he keeps reminding me. But um, <laughs> I think uh, I think there's a bit of a, you know, well, there's certainly a bit of a rule breaker in me. I don't particularly like rules. Um, I suppose, that, I think that's a good thing if you're an entrepreneur to some extent. So it, it puts you in that mindset where you don't just accept things for being true. You think, well, should that be true? Should we be doing something in a different way? Can this be improved? You know, constantly asking those questions and not taking assumptions about you know, how things are done. I think it's a good trait for an entrepreneur. And so I think in that, for that reason, it, it feels quite natural. Yeah. And I think once you kind of can let go a little bit as well, because, you know, I'm, I consider myself a pretty practical person. And I, you know, I've done a lot of the cold face work as a software developer. And I think stepping back and allowing people to make decisions, you know, as a company grows is something you need to do. And that is something, you know, that, you know, I guess improves as time goes on. But, you know, it's a little bit difficult to let go for, for some, some entrepreneurs and myself included. Yeah, no, we've, we've had that on the show before, actually. It's like, when is the right time to kind of not like pass everything over, but let other people take some kind of elements of control. But also, what was it like for you and Darren when you set up? Like you said, you, you guys were the main fee earners, but also you were the marketing department the sales department the accounts department like it must be weird going from a senior leadership role in it where yes you had quite a wide remit but it was all around the kind of technical direction of spark energy it wasn't picking up the call like picking up the phone or, or sending out kind of sales emails to try and get business so like what what was that kind of switch like yeah it's really challenging i mean when if you've done a particular role for many years you know you you, you do one thing or a handful of things well and that's what you know. Most people in organisations are—you know—they aim to be. And the more senior you get, the more specialist you become in some respects. And so, picking up all those other skills you need as a business owner, there's steep learning curves just just everywhere. And so, I guess you have to be prepared to to go through that. And yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting, but also you know you realise that I don't really know what I'm doing here. I'm kind of reading. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm I'm googling stuff. I'm asking people's advice. I think if you accept you don't know things, you're not you're not afraid to ask questions and you're not afraid to learn, or in fact you, you want to learn, then it's a great position to be in. I think the the hard bit actually in some respects is when you look at hiring people to fill those roles. So for example, marketing. Marketing is so, so important for us. And we have struggled to hire effective marketing people in the past. You know, currently we we've got um, we've got Jane Fitters who's heading up our marketing, who's great. Uh, we you know we, she wasn't our first hire into that role, so we've had a, a number of role of people who have not been ideally suited to us. So hiring somebody whose specialism is outside of our own specialisms has been challenging. Whereas you know we're we're pretty good at hiring software developers because we are software developers, so we we know what to look for. But yeah, hiring those other skills and, and giving them responsibility, that's that's been hard. Yeah, hiring people in marketing or sales when that's not your bag is, yeah, it can be a bit of a dark art. And I mean, it's also interesting you said you, you've had a couple of people and it's not worked out. And I suppose that's a big learning curve as well. Like when you work at a bigger company, people who join and then end up leaving or don't work out, it's not really anything new. But when you've got your own company, every hire is so important so it's like trying to make sure i suppose trying to make sure you get the best people but also that they're adding value to you guys because otherwise you're just throwing money away right yeah it's 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 pretty tricky 
And of course, you know, people in marketing, they're not fee earners, so it's, it's, it's not as easy to measure, for example. Yeah. Um, you can measure yeah, we have the same issue. other people. But yeah, I mean, I suppose that, that's part of the learning curve. And also, I suppose as well, although you and Darren aren't like salespeople by trade, because it was your business, you were probably better at selling it than anyone else would have been anyway in those early days. So that probably helped quite a lot. Well, we are, we are heavily involved in sales. I think that is something which sets us apart in some respects is that we do have those personal relationships with our clients uh, and, and prospects who, you know, who aren't clients or don't become clients or are yet to become clients. We, have, you know, we speak to lots of people who uh, appreciate that technology is something which can massively help their business or perhaps their business is built upon, but they don't know how to do it themselves. And I think that's one of the things that we do do very well is to speak to, to those people and to sort of demystify technology and to be you know, provide a sort of trustworthy point of view which allows them to make better decisions. I think that the business world is littered with examples of, of bad IT. I mean, that you don't have to look very far to find people with anecdotes about where projects have been outsourced and they've been you know, over budget, they've been late, or they've not worked at all. And it's, it's terrible to see that. So it's something that we really feel that we are very different to. I think one of the reasons there is because you know myself and Darren are, are closely involved with our stakeholders and our clients, and and we speak plain English to them. We're not trying to pull the wool over their eyes. We're trying to create things that actually help their businesses in a pragmatic way. You know, we we just like helping people. Really, I mean, it sounds quite corny, but that's ultimately what we like to do. And we know that the skills we have. And, and the guys we have in our team can do that. And it's just great to see businesses that can flourish when, when that happens. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you said, like, you don't have to look very far. We had a chat with a client this week that I've had a very large consultancy in their business for a year trying to deliver something that isn't that complicated and it just doesn't work. Um, and they've now asked us for our opinion on, like, what could they do to remedy it? And, like, they'll have spent a huge amount of money. I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess one of the issues they'll have is that it's like a faceless cast of thousands in that massive consultancy where they'll have a very slick salesperson who sells the dream and then they put in relatively inexperienced software people and nothing gets done whereas yeah like you said you and Darren are involved in the the whole process so it's kind of it's your guys next on the line if it doesn't work out and obviously it will because you guys know what you can do but there's no there's no hiding place which I think is a good thing yeah, absolutely. I think that the concept of ownership of a problem is really important. And we, we drill it into the guys in our team that if you're carrying out a task, it's your task. If you're not clear on what needs to be done, then you know please ask questions about it. But ultimately, it's your responsibility to deliver it. So that means that you have to deliver that task. You, know, you will be involved in deciding how long it should take. That's something that's a collaborative process. So it's not just you, not just someone else hasn't decided that something was quick and easy and you pick it up and it's you know difficult and complicated. Um, so there's there's real openness around the, the estimation of work we do. Uh, but yeah, if you have a task to do, it's your task to deliver that. That's, that's for you to do. So you do own that. Um, and of course you can come with questions. You can, you know, you're not cast adrift by any means. There's the right level of support for people, but I think it's so important that ownership. And so a developer will own a task a project manager will own a project. How can a project not 
work, it doesn't stand to reason. If it needs to be defined properly. If there's questions about what's required, they need to be followed up with the client. We need to, to bottom those out. Um, if requirements aren't clear enough, we can't really start work on them, or we would only start work on them by making certain assumptions. And those assumptions would be made clear to clients so they know what questions that need to be answered in order for things to be you know, into a state of completion. So it kind of baffles me how things can end up so far down the line and just not work. I don't understand that. I've never really seen it, you know, firsthand. And so I, when you hear that about much, much larger organisations and much larger budgets, I don't understand how they get to that point without them being caught a long, long way before because there's no way that would ever happen. Can't imagine that would ever happen with us because there are too many checkpoints involved along the way. You know, we deliver normally on a two-week cadence, so uh, that will be checked by you know internal scrutiny and then by the client. So before anything goes anywhere beyond that, then there are lots and lots of checks and balances to make sure that things are on track uh, and heading in the right direction. Yeah, no, and, and even when you explain it like that, it just it is just so strange that projects can get so out of control. Um, but we've seen so many examples of over the years, and it's normally when it's like bigger clients with big consultancies or like big four type people where I think it's all there's too many moving parts and not enough people talking to each other so like you said it wouldn't happen because there's too many checks and balances at a smaller company and often with the customers you're working with as well it's it's such an integral part of their business to get technology right whereas quite often I think in these really large companies it's like a nice to have addition to their current tech stack or like projects is not absolutely integral for the business um, and I think that's where you probably see a big difference in the kind of work that you guys do, where you're really kind of getting companies set up with technology, right? Yeah, I think that you know a lot of our clients have had bad experiences with previous suppliers, and I think it's shocking that that seems to be the norm, where IT is outsourced and and a bad job is done. You know, it's it shouldn't be like that. There's no reason for it to be like that. And I think it's outrageous that that is the, the it feels to be the norm for for large IT projects, particularly for you know um, in the enterprise space and in the public sector as well, where money just feels like it's being sort of squandered by you know uh, enormous budgets um, and systems that just don't work, and and it's almost like no one really cares, and it doesn't really matter, and it's almost almost perhaps expected that it was failed because it's complicated and. Yeah, I think that's just, that's terrible. And I guess that's kind of what we feel like we're fighting against, really. And we, we like the opposite end of the spectrum to that. No, I mean, it's actually, it's a really similar narrative to the job that we do. I mean, you obviously know us pretty well, but it's trying to, we're fighting against a lot of bad experiences and people's perception of the industry. So, um, no, I totally get it. Let's jump to kind of present day if you like so like you said first couple of years or, or 18 months or so you and Darren did a lot of the kind of grunt work a lot of the the fee earning the sales everything else um but now you're a, a team of I think it's like 30 people right yeah well it's, it'll be more than that now yeah no it's about I think it's about 34 um nice. poly- I, I don't know the exact number I should know but um it's ever it changing <laughs> yeah yeah it is a, a little bit it's been yeah it's been a period of change over the last few months for sure yeah Lots it feels like coming in it kind of feels like, and I don't know if there's any correlation, but like since COVID's come in, it feels like Clear Sky have absolutely rocketed. And I don't know if that's because 
you've picked up customers who have realized that they need technology to keep going or if it was just kind of timing wise you guys were ready to, to expand but yeah it feels like it went from Darren Phil and a few others to now like you said a team of 30 plus people with multiple offices some really big kind of client wins how how has the kind of COVID experience been I suppose for, for Clear Sky as a business? Yeah I think as a business it's been I mean it's been a good thing I think you know it's obviously it was when when the lockdown first happened we we sort of jumped slightly ahead of the curve I guess in that we there was a whiff of Covid in Edinburgh and we thought okay let's just work from home from now on for the next, for the foreseeable future so we decided to work from home on one Friday you know and then Monday onwards we we didn't go back to the office again and so we ended up closing that office this was sometime in March last year and yeah things I mean that, that initial month or two months were pretty light people were cutting back making fairly drastic decisions uh, I think there was a bit of a drop in in business at that point we were putting things on hold but but quickly people decided that well you know this is how we're working now we'll just work remotely and we'll just get on with it so we were able to work fine in that we were already working from home remotely to some extent and so we were just working from home you know entirely we were still able to to recruit people uh, bring new people on we were still able to to talk to potential clients and bring on new clients and so so still there are there are clients that we've had for um you know, a year or, or more that I've never met in person. And it doesn't seem to have affected the relationship in any negative way. We've obviously recruited lots of people in that time. Um, in some ways, that's been easier. So we, we weren't constrained to an office that was that we, you know, would needed to outgrow. We could just, you know, you could buy, buy a laptop, uh, more or less. And, and that's all the kit that anyone would need. And so it was, it was easier to expand in some respects. I think, you know, if the internet had been broken rather than the you know, the sort of we would have been it would have been a disaster. But uh, but luckily, the internet was you know was not affected by COVID. So yeah, I think we're you know very very fortunate. Looking at some other businesses, it was you know a very different picture. And I feel you know really really gutted for some people who are in who are in those sort of you know like the hospitality industry, for example. I mean, it must be just so so difficult. But we were fortunate, and we we weren't affected negatively. Obviously, it's not been easy for people. It's much harder to onboard people in a meaningful way when they're remote so especially the younger guys and less experienced you know it's it's much harder for them to come into a company and and sort of tangibly feel what the culture is because there's just no you know there's not really so much chit chat and you know those sort of conversations you have that aren't necessarily 100% work you might not you might feel a bit uncomfortable just sparking up a um, you know, a Zoom call, something with a colleague and, and not talking about work, just chatting. We actually implemented a kind of coffee break thing. So we had a we sort of arranged for people to have, you know, a half hour chat with someone that they perhaps didn't work with so much, just so they could have a non-work conversation in the way that you would do organically if you were sharing an office space. Yeah, we did like a 12 o'clock, uh, this was way back at COVID now, it feels like ages ago, but um, yeah, we did like a 12 o'clock drop-in where anyone could just sign in and basically the only kind of caveat was that you weren't allowed to talk about work because there was enough of those calls going on already. You must have noticed the difference kind of relatively recently with some of that because I know that some of the team have got together and um, obviously restrictions are easing kind of relatively rapidly in Scotland now, so uh, have you managed to kind of meet everyone now or almost everyone 
Yeah, no, I've met everyone now. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and it's really nice to see those conversations that happen. You know, like I say, organically, perhaps people sitting outside, having a bit of lunch or going to get a coffee, which are just so normal part of the kind of social interaction of, of work. You know, people spend a lot of time at work. So, you know, to have some, you know, to kind of get on with your workmates is, you know, a really good thing. I think it's, you know, probably a lot harder for people to to come into a company and never actually meet them um, and only be working from their bedrooms or living rooms, uh, just meeting on, you know, scrum calls and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think certain people, even post-COVID, will, will I, I, well, sorry, I think a very small minority of people will want to be 100% remote forever um, and that suits their lifestyle for, for whatever reason. But I think no matter what your thoughts are on, we'll take out kind of nine to five office working. I think that's a different conversation, but I think most people want to be around other people while they're working. Even recently, like, so, I mean, you and I grabbed a coffee a couple of weeks ago. Last week I had a couple of um, in-person meetings and it's just nice to like sit somewhere else, get a coffee like or, or whatever, and just like chat to people kind of, and then not be a prescribed half an hour on Zoom. Yeah, um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. People people will appreciate that interaction. I feel like I, I really crave one after having the other. So if I've been into the office, Edinburgh or, or Glasgow, I, I I really crave being at home because I know that in some ways I'm more productive. I don't have to travel. You know, traveling it, I can't join meetings so easily because the internet's patchy. And so I'll arrange lots of meetings while I'm at home. Uh, and even from the office, I'll, re- I'll arrange lots of kind of collaboration meetings and, you know, and chats with developers and that kind of thing um, and one-to-ones and things. But I feel like if I've been at home, I really crave being in the office because I just want that kind of interaction. And if I've been in the office, I really crave being at home. So I think having that sort of pattern just, it, for me, is the most efficient anyway. Yeah, I think, I mean, even for me going forward, like I used to spend a lot of time in Manchester sometimes it was for one meeting whereas now i think i'll do the same as you i'll I'll book in a block of two days and it'll be fairly back to back but then it'll be three days after that like at home or whatever not doing that just so you kind of break it up a bit as well um and like you said yeah variety isn't a good thing you know i think if you've got a bit of variety if you're working in two or three locations you know it's great because it kind of just feels like you're doing something and it, it keeps you a bit fresh you know yeah, no, I would agree. And let's jump into a little bit of like what ClueSky do then. So we've talked about it. I think we've said it twice now on the show so far, but digital transformation. So it's a phrase that people will probably have heard or, or hear quite a lot sometimes, but maybe don't really understand what it means. Um, how do you kind of like best describe what digital transformation is or even what ClearSky um, do? Yeah, I guess it's uh, digital transformation means, you know, different things to different clients but but ultimately i guess what it means is is using technology to improve your business and that could be making it more efficient it could be allowing you to reach more clients it could be operating um, in uh, you know a global scenario it could be meet could mean you're operating around the clock it could mean that you're doing things that you just you literally just couldn't do without technology itself and so it really really depends on and what the business is. But, but ultimately what we do is build web applications, uh, databases, and mobile apps. Now, for the most part, that's that's what we do. We build, and there's, there's logic in between there. We build APIs, which allow systems to be hooked together. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we provide automation 
uh, and digital platforms for companies. So that might be systems that um, companies' clients are using. It could be systems for their back office users, or it could be B two B systems. So or, or APIs which allow companies to sort of talk to each other, or different systems to talk to each other and consume data. And so it really, really does depend exactly on what what the client's after. But but ultimately, it's about you know doing more and not just employing more and more people to, to manually handle everything. It's about identifying where automation can be done, where self-serve can be done, so where your clients are, are doing things for themselves at their own convenience. If you think about, um, you know, recently I had to phone a car insurance company to cancel a policy. So I'd sold a car and I wanted to cancel the, the insurance on it. Um, I thought it would be a simple case of you know, logging in to the website and just sort of clicking a button saying cancel or perhaps sending them an email at, at the worst but I had to actually phone them up so I sat on the call for I think it was about 25 minutes listening to their choice of music <laughs> which wasn't my choice of music um, and you know there's this sort of false start you feel like oh suddenly someone's coming to answer oh no it's just some other kind of automated message about something I'm not interested in by the time someone actually answered I was, I was literally about to hang up I was just like I've got better things to do uh, you know, eventually, and of course, the the lady on the phone was you know very polite. It, it wasn't her fault that the system was badly designed, but it was a terrible, terrible user experience. Um, and I'm I'm sure that that this is probably done so that they, there's a there's a selling opportunity, and so there's there's probably a, a business rationale behind it. But you know, really, I think if you were looking to to cancel some car insurance, it should be a pretty simple operation. You know, are you sure you want to cancel? Yes. Okay, it's cancelled. Here's your refund value. You'll get it within X days, uh, you know, rather than waiting for, for 25 minutes on a call. So I think looking at the expectations of customers, you know, out in the world, when they have good digital experiences, and if you think of, you know, I mean, the big digital players like Amazon, for example, you know, how easy is it to buy something from Amazon to return something? Far it's, too easy is the answer yeah, to your question. It's it's so so easy. You know that they invented you know one click purchasing I think in the 90s or something uh, just to remove all of that friction you know you know when things are happening you get notified people are used to that level of um, that sort of courtesy that you get and that immediacy and if your business isn't doing that in the sector your business in you know I'm not saying that not everyone's competing with Amazon but if you're an energy supplier for example or a car insurance company why is it more difficult than that it shouldn't be you know that's what you should be aiming for and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a million miles away because there are people who were selling something pretty identical uh, who were doing, you know, who were going after a digital strategy in a way that perhaps, you know, you're not. Especially when organizations are selling something identical, like in energy, you know, you have to differentiate yourselves in a, in a digital way. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, I mean, that's actually the energy. I know that that's in a market you know really well, but having just moved house and tried to change energy supplier, it's just like, well, the company that, was supplying the energy before I moved in. God awful. The company I moved to, it was all online and I didn't have to do anything. Like I clicked a few buttons and I was ready to go. So yeah, it does feel like, it feels like there's a long way to go, but there's now more options than there maybe was before because of technology. So you can totally see where you and Darren and the team would come into that. And I think I'm right in saying, there's some companies that you and um, the team work with where they don't have any technology function. Like you, you are the technology function. You guys act as the CTO, and that must be quite a nice opportunity where you're not 
you're not kind of butting heads with other technology people. It's just you're trusted to do the job for that client. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that's quite a common thing we've seen as well, where you have often a, a relatively small company in terms of headcount um, and a, a business owner who you definitely understands that technology is something that is needed. It's not like a necessary evil. It's something that they, they understand and appreciate is, you know, it is part of the strategy for the business. Um, the alternative is that either they, they can't do what they want to do or they need to employ you know, lots and lots of people and, and train them up. And so, yeah, we have these roles as we call VCTO, virtual CTO. So we effectively sit on the senior management team or the board of, of the, these companies and we, we help to guide them and into making you know, better decisions around technology. Whether they're working with you know, other third parties or they're working with us, even if they're trying to recruit internally as well, that situation where if a, a small business wants to recruit a development team, how do, you, how do you go about that if you don't have those skills in-house? It's a bit like myself trying to recruit someone into marketing, whereas it's not my, not my area, so I, I'm not gonna be asking the right questions necessarily. And so we, we help some of those clients in, in those areas. And I think it's just about that kind of understanding that a business has got a strategy, it knows where it wants to get to. And if technology is aligned with that, then there's a good chance it's gonna work. But if your technology has its own priorities, then it's, it's never gonna work. Uh, and I've seen that time and time again. The worst examples of where who people who seem like you know good guys and you know, are not there to do anything wrong necessarily, are brought in to small companies as developers and, and they effectively bring in their own little pet projects and, and they carry out um, pieces of development work where what you end up with is a lot of little tests of things that might work or might not and probably look quite good on the CV of that individual, but are not a good idea to hang your business off. So we, we've seen that time and time again and it's, it's kind of infuriating because I think it goes against my belief that the, the tools that we use are, are there to build something. You know, they're not in and of themselves. They're not, they're not of any value. So just because there's a new piece of technology, it doesn't mean to say that you should go and use it straight away. If you, if you do use it, you know, it, it might be value there, but you know, don't, don't bet the whole house on it. You know, it's, don't hang the company off that. You know, if you're going to try, try something new, then let it bed in. Um, try on something which isn't critical. But if you're going to build your company's platform on something brand new and untested, you know, you're going to save yourself up for some pretty major problems, whether if that technology becomes unsupported, if it turns out it's got major security issues, you can't recruit anybody to, to develop it or to extend it. You know, you're in a really difficult place. And, and we've seen that time and time again. So we tend to use technology which is, you know, which is commonly used and is tried and tested. No, we've had it recently, or not too recently, but we had a client that had put their entire platform on, I can't even remember what language it was, but it was a, it was a language that isn't commonly used, it's hard to recruit for, and when they were, the, the person who implemented the whole, the whole system left, they had to replace that person and couldn't find anyone with the skills. So the options were a contractor, a consultancy, or completely replatform everything. 
and yeah i think it was exactly what you just said i think it was a bit of a kind of pet project they really wanted to use that cool new language and then they went and got a different job and kind of left everybody in the lurch a little bit so yeah i totally i totally know what you mean and you mentioned it a couple of times as well um on the recruitment front um i mean i think it would be safe to say you've done a lot of it when you joined spark there was only four or five people in the IT team, I think, and, and you left with a lot more than that. And then obviously you've um, grown ClearSkyLogic from, from you and Darren to, to 30 plus people. Something you said to me a couple of weeks ago when, when we grabbed that coffee, which just kind of stuck with me ever since, um, is that you really enjoy hiring, which I think is probably a big takeaway from from the, the episode really is um, for other founders or, or decision makers is that you kind of really need to like doing it because if you're not, bought into it then how are you going to get good people for your business so let's go on to everybody's favorite topic just now recruitment i think the technical term for your experience of recruitment is you've done a shitload of it uh, you've had a huge i mean i think we talked about it already but spark energy small team ended up being i, I mean i'd probably say very large quite large and now clear sky from two people to around 30. So one of the things you said to me when we met a couple of weeks back was that you actually really enjoy hiring. I do, yeah. I think it's a really interesting process. I think, you know, clearly you, you, you're building a company, you want people to come in and, and you know, represent you and share the same sort of beliefs um, and approach. And it's just really key to building a strong team that you that you bring the right people in. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's obviously it's obvious, it's a no-brainer. But I do really enjoy the process because there are a lot of people who write software and maybe they're quite good at it. But it's really about why they do it as well. You know, what is it that motivates them? And I think for us, it's really important that people are writing software because they want to solve a problem for somebody. There's like an empathy that sort of backs it up. It's not just about people who like technology for technology's sake. You know, we're kind of quite clear that we don't do that. We, we write technology for real world business problems, for real world, you know, people problems. And, and I guess we get a kick out of solving those problems for people, making people's lives easier. And there's nothing more frustrating for me, you know, using like a terrible website you know, with a sort of dreadful customer experience, it just drives me mad. So I just think, well, we could have done such a much better job on that and probably charge less for all I know, especially looking at, you know, public sector uh, websites. And and there's no reason to not do that. I think it's just, you know, something that we feel really strongly about. So hiring the right people uh, and motivating those people is, I just find it's, it's just really important. It's really interesting to meet people from different walks of life everyone's got a great ability to to bring themselves to a company whatever their background whatever their age and level of experience you know we're not the sort of organization where it's really top down where we say well this is how we do things i've got more experience than you so therefore i know know better you know, everyone can bring their own experience and their own um uh, viewpoint to, to situations and i think you know we're really good at encouraging that um, so yeah, I think you know recruitment's uh, something we we're generally doing you know pretty much all of the time. We've had the odd gap here and there, um, but it's something that you know we'll continue to do and we'll continue to be involved in you know really closely. I think myself and Darren. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think one of the biggest takeaways probably for anyone listening to this, like founders or any hiring manager, basically, that you need to be bought into at kind of like exec level, if you like, because especially as company the size of yours, like a couple of bad hires, suddenly the company's like potentially, I mean, it's a bit dramatic, but potentially ruined. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I'm not saying that we're perfect at it. You know, we've 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 made some bad decisions. We've had some people in who haven't been a good fit for one reason or another. And, you know, we're pretty selective about who we want to come and join in the company. But I think, you know, generally we're a good, good judge of character. I mean, sometimes the proof is in the pudding and someone needs to join and, and maybe things aren't exactly as they expect. And, you know, working for Clear Sky is not for everybody. You know, we are a, a startup. There's nowhere to hide. You know, everyone needs to bring themselves, you know, fully to the role. It's, um, you know, in some ways it's, it's easier to go and work for a larger company. You know, there's probably more structure in larger companies. But I think, you know, if you're the sort of person who wants to dive in and learn a lot and come out, you know, a really long way in a short period of time, have a lot of responsibility, you know, working for a company like us, it's uh, it's fantastic. I'm just going to say, you guys have done really well with hiring kind of less experienced people and giving them a platform as well, which is, uh, you can probably steal a march on your competition in some ways because everyone's looking for this perfect senior principal software developer that's been there done that and knows every technology ever whereas you guys quite often are hiring for potential and like like you said they, they understand they need to solve a problem yeah that's right yeah we do um i think we're good at seeing the potential in people sometimes when you're hiring people who've got a lot of experience they've got that perhaps as a way that they do things they might not be the way we want them to be done um so sometimes there's a bit to kind of undo in those respects. Uh, so I think when you're looking at, you know, bringing in less experienced people, you've just got great potential, lots of energy, then it's sort of easier perhaps to shape them and to, you know, motivate them. And, and you know, it's just great to see how they can they can progress in a short period of time. And, you know, we've seen that time and again with, with people we've brought in with little experience, but, but tons of potential. I think it's just really, really, really good to see. And I think the reason that they progress so quickly is because they're working for ClearSky, though. Because if they went to, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but if they went to like a big public sector company or a big consultancy company, like they'd probably stay relatively stagnant for a few years and then maybe they've hit, hit a promotion criteria. Whereas that, a company like ClearSky with how you guys operate, they can really make an impact from day one and then progress their career and, and become a much, much better software developer, I would have thought. Yeah, I, I, that's true. I think people sometimes are, are sort of surprised by the, the level of autonomy that they get. Um, it's a real balancing act between giving people autonomy to make decisions and to support them. And so what we try and do is to is to sort of balance that up where we say, well, here's a, here's a task, here's a problem for you to go and try and solve. Go away and come up with a potential solution and then bring it back and then we'll discuss it and we'll see, you know, if there's anything that could be improved or, you know, you may have come up with a perfect solution. But I think it's that sort of balance and that's the balance which we, we try and strike. You know, we don't always get it right, clearly, but it's, um, I think it's it's great, you know, giving people the opportunity to, to analyse problems, design solutions, and that's really what they'll be doing forever in that sort of career. So start small, start on day one. 
and and take it from there. And it's amazing what someone can achieve in a year if you give them that sort of freedom, you know, with the right no, checks and balances in place. Yeah, of course, that's quite important as well, actually. But um, have you found it easier, maybe at the start, maybe still the case, but have you found it easier to hire technical people than, say, your marketing team, your sales team, like even project management to an extent? Like, do you find it easier to hire tech people? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's our background, so that's what we know. So we kind of, <clears throat> you know, we, we know what to look for. It's um, It's in our kind of ballpark, you know, in terms of our understanding of things. We, we appreciate that sales is massively important. Uh, we've got a lot better at it ourselves over the last few years. Uh, and marketing super important as well. And we've you know, read lots of books and we've come to a much better understanding about marketing of a business. And these things are critical if you want to grow. But yeah, hiring the right people in these areas is, is for us, it's been a, you know, a much bigger challenge. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, it's not something I've got, you know, I've got, you know, we've got some experience at it right now, but it's um, not something I, I pretend to be particularly good at, you know, hiring someone who is outside of your own area of expertise. I think it's a problem for lots of people. You know, in fact, we see this a lot in companies where they're trying to hire technical people, but there's no one technical there to vet them. And so we actually help companies do that. So we almost sort of step in and help them to hire an internal team. Um, because you know, without someone who's got that experience, they're really they're basing it on personality uh, and the things that they can see, and they can't necessarily dig beneath that detail. And it's the same for us if we're hiring someone in sales or in marketing. You know, we have that same same sort of problem. You're looking for someone to lead a function that isn't really in your comfort zone. It's um, it's not that easy. Yeah, no, it's definitely tricky. We actually had a, an example recently where a client needed a like a head of data and they had a consultancy in and they were part of the interview process and it made um life so much easier having like what you guys do like having that person who's an expert involved because it meant they didn't have to worry about that part they just did the cultural fit and it made it 10 times quicker um so i can totally see why that works from you guys and is there anything you've kind of learned over the years, whether that was at Spark or more recently at Clear Sky Logic, about kind of hiring that that kind of s- sticks with you? Like, is there anything that you and Darren do like every single time or, or most of the time to, to really get recruitment right? I tend to just wing it. I don't really have a kind of set approach to an interview. I think I don't try and I don't really ask such difficult questions. I think you know putting someone at ease is is important. I mean, interviews are stressful enough. And it's hard enough yeah. for people to bring them their, their, their full selves. You know, people are, candidates are always nervous to some extent. I mean, if they're super nervous, it's really hard for us to make a decision because you think, well, you know, you need to be, to some extent, calm, relax, and be able to talk about yourself, your experiences, what you want to be doing. If, if you really can't do that, then it's, it's, you know, it's pretty tricky for us to make a decision on somebody. But I do try and put people at ease. I don't, you know, I mean, I've seen things like on The uh, the Apprentice many years ago when they have this sort of interview uh, section and, and the, the interviewers are so hostile. You just think, who on earth would want to work in a company like that, you know? It's a, it's a two-way bizarre, thing. It? Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, there's no place for hostility. It's, it's, you know, we understand that the people who are wanting to work for us can go and work for somebody else. So it, it's definitely about us selling 
clear sky as an opportunity as well as it is asking all the right questions about them and making sure they're the right sort of fit so it's, it's definitely not a one-way street um, we don't do things like written technical tests so much because everyone's different you know there's not like a standard which people need to to meet people come from different backgrounds and we can ask questions around the level of detail you know verbally so that's the way we tend to kind of drill into people's technical experiences just by talking to them and you know finding out where their knowledge ends so that seems to work pretty well but yeah i think it's a two-way street it's definitely not just us you know choosing someone then they join us it's you know it's it's much more complex than that much more nuanced and you know anyone who's good will have have, you know opportunities elsewhere so we've got to stand out and uh, prove that we're a good option for them too yeah that's a really good point that i think unfortunately mostly bigger companies i would say are still missing the mark on like the recruitment market just now is the busiest it's ever been in the 12 years or 11 years that cathcart have existed and some clients still kind of not they're not hostile like what the apprentice example but it's very much like you will want to work for us so like we'll grill you for an hour and it's just like if you've got five interviews and they range from tiny little startup to a kind of grow and scale up like clear sky all the way to like a financial services company you guys can stand out ahead of most of them just because like you said it's two-way street sell the opportunity tell them about the projects like it's a much nicer process right mm. actually yeah it reminds me i once went for an interview um in the public sector and it was the most bizarre experience i was there were i think there was a, a sort of panel of like five or six people and each one asked a question and it was like they read the question out from a piece of paper and i was given the opportunity to to answer the question there was literally no dialogue it could have been just a machine that had had you know um dictated these questions and then my my answers were recorded and after a kind of a me speaking for a while I, I was saying well is that you know does that answer the question is that what you're looking for and there was nothing back it was a completely inhumane experience i had and, and there was literally nothing more than that so i had no idea what it would be like to work there it, it was absolutely strange of course That's i mean I, I i wasn't offered the job but i was thinking i wasn't a particularly good, good fit for it as it happens but if i had been offered i would have thought well how am i ever going to accept this job because i haven't got no idea what it'd be like to work there i don't know what any of these people were like they were they were almost afraid to show me any personality it was most strange so i i you know we're nothing so like that yeah <laughs> well, there's also like there's so many tech companies that fall into the trap like say say clear sky when they were five people and trying to scale to 30 they fall into this trap of like trying to become amazon and google with their interview process like they make it really like convoluted really tricky like lots of different parts like four or five hour assessment day where you meet the whole team and it like it becomes too much and i think the best advice that we often give companies when they're doing as much recruitment as you guys kind of kind of constantly do is just keeping it simple like keep the process simple and do what you're doing like talk to people and then the rest will take care of itself absolutely yeah um i mean when you join a company you know there's a period where either party can decide that they've made a bad decision and there's a short notice period and so i think that that's a much more useful way of bringing people in you know um even if you're not 100 percent sure you know think well let's bring the person in and they're happy to join uh, and maybe it isn't for them maybe we decide that they're not up to scratch or they're not right or maybe they decide that but i think yeah this the sort of whole day long 
interview process where you get grilled and go through I don't, I don't even know what you do but it just it just seems ridiculous like it would put it would put me off I'm sure it would put a lot of people off as well um, so I think yeah. especially now I think COVID has changed even interviewing and hiring to a huge degree where so many people have just done it like via Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams or whatever so to go back to the days of okay you need to come into the office at 9 and you'll get a lunch break and then you'll leave at 5 it's just that that's not an interview like that's just taking the piss um, so yeah, yeah there's been good and bad obviously with, with recruitment from home but no I think it's I think the way that you and Darren are doing it keeping it simple being human I think it's probably although it's relatively like simple advice for a lot of people that's where everyone goes wrong um, so it's good to see that it's worked for you guys and I suppose just lastly then moving away from, from recruitment and a bit more generic but um, given that we're now terrifyingly close to the end of the year what um, do, uh, do, <laughs> is, do Clear Sky have a is there kind of plan or, or goal in place between now and the end of the year and into next year or is it just keep keep doing what you're doing and keep making clients kind of happy uh, well it'd be nice to have an actual Christmas party you know, as soon as you mentioned Christmas, so like that, a, yeah, that is a it? lofty ambition, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we got <laughs> together in the summer; it was really nice. You know, we had like a barbecue in Edinburgh and got together and had a few drinks with the whole team. That was great. So hopefully, we can do that this winter. Um, all being well. yeah, we're going to try and do that, and uh, I think we're trying that at the end of September. I don't know why we waited till September to do a barbecue, but we're going to try and get the whole team together for the first time in. I genuinely don't know how long. <laughs> You're waiting for a sunny day, probably. Yeah. Maybe. No, I think we're just waiting on diaries. Do you know? Do you know? I find that difficult when you get to the size you guys are at now. Like trying to get everyone to agree on a date to do something is almost impossible. I just put it in. Just happens. If you don't put it in, it'll never happen. There'll always be some excuses. <laughs> so it's just this is the date. Oh, stick it in the diary. <laughs> yeah, yeah I quite like quite like that. We we th- we threatened to do that, and then we were still too nice about it. Um, actually, it's got to the point where the barbecue in September, I can't make it because I stupidly didn't look at the date. So I'm now one of those people that just can't go. But but it is what it is. Um, yeah, no, that'd be nice if we could get everyone together at, together at Christmas. And then yeah, I imagine it's just keep keep winning business and becoming the kind of the go to tech partner, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll just keep maturing. I mean, we've, we've done a lot of things this year that have been a sort of sign of maturity. So we've become a Microsoft Gold Partner. We've just got ISO 27001. We're looking at moving into some of the uh, CRM platforms. So um, Dynamic CRM and Salesforce. Nice. We're, we're, lo- we're also launching a SaaS product called My Booking Hub. So yeah, there's some exciting stuff going along uh, on, alongside the, the consultancy work that we're currently doing. And we're looking at opening an office in Dundee as well. So we've got, you know, Glasgow and Edinburgh offices at the moment. Probably not this year, but maybe into next year we'll be looking at moving into uh, north, of England, north of England as well. So probably Manchester. That'll be the next uh, nice. next location. So actually kind of near you guys too. Yeah, no, I mean, our Manchester hub's been amazing. And it's just a good city as well. It's actually, I've not been for... I don't know, I reckon now it's been about 19 months I've not been in Manchester and it feels really weird, so I'm going to try and get back down soon because there's, there's loads going on. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a great place for you guys to be. It makes a lot of sense. All right, nice one. Well, thank you so much for the time, Phil. I really do appreciate it. Um, and like we've, said all, like we've said all the way through, it's been great to see how well you guys are doing. So um, we'll obviously kind of keep in touch and see if we can get you back on and, uh, and talk about how the kind of grand plan is going. But thank you for the time. Thank you very much, Ben. <laughs>